Blog Talk Radio. Black Politics Today. An eye for what's at stake in global politics and your source for the social, economic, and political impact of public policy on the African American community. Your host, Kelly Michael Williams, is a political strategy veteran with an undefeated campaign record and the political experience that spans nearly three decades from Mayor Willie Brown in California to President Barack Obama in our nation's capital. So get ready for a fresh and honest approach on the politics that affect you and your family the most. Now, your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome, everybody. This is your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome to the show for another broadcast of What's at Stake right here on Black Politics Today. I want to thank you for joining us tonight. And as I do, before I get started with every show, I always pause and thank my Lord and Savior, Jesus Christ, just because I just need to make sure that he knows that I'm grateful and appreciative for just allowing me to host the show, have this platform, and have the opportunity to share with Black America the issues that are vital to our survival in our community, which I believe are socially, economically, and politically impactful. And I want to thank God for just giving me the vision to establish this platform to contribute to, in a small way, a small portion to 
um, what I know um, and the ability and what I know is just a portion of what we're able to do here on this broadcast and to to share what uh, I believe are access to elected officials, subject matter experts, business leaders, advocates, uh, educators, and just plain old you and me, you know, folks just like you and me who have a, a passion for making sure that we understand what's going on in our community, how things are operating in our community, and and making sure that we, you know, speak up and uh, we say something. If we see something, we say something. Normally, you guys would have heard something uh, fast, jazz, and everything else, but I felt I needed a little uh, way maker, miracle worker, promise keeper, and light in the sign of darkness because with the news today that we may have some 200,000 people dead as a result of this virus. Uh, I needed a little Jesus and a little uh, uh, Teddy Pendergrass or um, uh, Harold Melvin and Blue Notes. I don't know which version it was, but that's what we needed because if we take the time and look and see online on Facebook, on Twitter, and listen or see all the things that are going on on those social media platforms. There's, I mean, I've been in this Twitter fight with these dudes from that are, that are Trump loyalists for about the last three months. And for whatever reason, they're still talking about testing and I'm talking about people dying. And they're talking about how great this administration is. And I'm talking about how poorly responsive it has been to not only black America, but everybody, rural America, where their base is they're slow to respond. So what I'm going to ask each of you to do or uh, listening, taking time out of your schedule to, uh, to listen to us tonight is please go online to Facebook, uh, Twitter, Blog Talk Radio, follow us, like us, link up with us, uh, subscribe to our national, um, our Black Politics Today magazine. Uh, it's the only national political news magazine published and the only one that has ever been printed entirely and solely for African-Americans in our community dealing with politics. We've had plenty of publications. We have plenty of digital services and blogs and things of that nature. But BPT Magazine is the only one that's talking to you about politics, news, social, economic, and political impact. And for those of you who want to be contributors, uh, please hit us up at info at Black Politics Today. If you want to be editors, uh, if you want to put ads out, certainly we're welcome for that. Uh, If you have a small business and you want to put something out there, we have writers in California. We have writers in Texas. We're reaching across the the platform, and we want to make sure that we include you in that. So please join us, be a part of it, engage with us, and keep us, you know, keep us viable so we can keep you viable. Donald Trump here recently um, told Americans that the request from New York Governor Mark um, Cuomo from governor in Washington, from governor in Michigan, that he didn't believe the medical professionals and he didn't believe that they actually needed the number of ventilators that they were requesting to ensure the ability for these patients to actually live. And for someone who has no medical background and has no ability to tell what is actually needed in these states, it was kind of presumptive of him to say that he thought that they were hoarding the materials are hoarding the the ventilators and things of that nature only for their own purpose, just so we can talk badly about him. But then he turns around and says that the people should be appreciative of him for what he has done, that they should give him praise and accolades for what he has done. The grotesqueness of his statement means that innocent Americans will die unless these governors 
Democrat, Republicans, the ones that are in those states, do something and take control. And I've heard a lot of people say that Cuomo has been the president of New York or of this virus. And had he been running, he would have shown himself to be very presidential during this case because clearly the person who is in 1600 has no clue. He has no idea. As someone who's supposed to be leading this nation, Trump has been more concerned about receiving praise for something that he essentially has caused to get to this magnitude than anyone else. Had he done something in January when, or even in November when he found out about it, but had he done something in January instead of calling it a hoax and a democratic scheme, he would have been able to put a, a lock on this. They would have been able to pause it and, and reduce the number of deaths. We have nearly 3,000 deaths today, nearly 3,000. 100,000 cases, 150,000 cases, actually uh, 100,500 cases already. We have more cases than even the epicenter of where it started. China, I believe, in, at their eight had like 80,000. We already have 100,000 cases, and now we're at 2,500 deaths, 2,800. We'll be at 3,000 probably by tomorrow, unfortunately. And every three days, it's doubling. And today, they come out and say that we could be at 200,000 people dead and Donald Trump is saying, well, that's pretty good because they were expecting there could be 2 million. I can understand that. That makes no sense to me. And tonight, it, it, I, I'm just, you know, I, I'm at a loss. And this is the cost of stupidity. That's what we're going to talk about tonight, the cost of stupidity. My guest tonight, to help me claw through all this and, and uh, get through this, this uh, trauma <laughs> And also talk about the $2 trillion relief package. We're also going to hit up with the census and talk about the census tonight uh, because that's going to have an impact on us as well as uh, Miss Rosalind L. She's a motivational speaker, a business and lifestyle writer, online biz, and she has an online business radio show that's called Word of Advice. It's on uh, Wandu Network, uh, wandunetwork.com. She's also a host on uh, WRI WRIR 97.3 FM in Richmond, Virginia. She is also one of our newest contributors for uh, Black Politics Today magazine. Uh, you'll see her article in this month's uh, release that we'll release uh, this month. Uh, also joining us is Mr. Antoine Ford. Antoine is the president and CEO of, in, of Enlighten Incorporated, the leading IT management consulting firm with over 200 employees servicing federal, state, and local governments providing cybersecurity services and other software development and integrated integration needs. Antoine is also the president and CEO of, of uh, the Greater Washington Black Chamber of Commerce and is the board chair of the D.C. Workforce Investment Council. And lastly, we have Nevada State Assembly Speaker Jason Fireson. Um, Speaker Fireson, who represents the 8th District in Las Vegas, Nevada, he's a graduate of University of Nevada, Reno, and the uh, graduate of William Boyd Law School. He received the Outstanding Freshman Legislative Award and has uh, recently elected Speaker of the House there in Nevada. And Nevada at one time held the distinction of only one other state, uh, and that was Denver, uh, of Colorado, to have both the Speaker and the Senate Majority Leader or the President in some jurisdictions both be African Americans. The historical feat that uh, I wish we can re replicate across the country uh, everywhere we go, because certainly 
being able to have our Speaker of the House and our Senate President, both African-Americans, and have African-Americans leading a state legislature is beyond historic. So I want to welcome them on to the show. Welcome, everyone, to the show, everyone. Thank, Thank you so much, you much for having me. Having so uh, you heard my intro, you know, Waymaker, Miracle Worker, um, Promise Keeper, and Light in the Shine Night. And then I close it out with uh, Wake Up Everybody, because that's the song I usually play. It's, I, I'm trying to get my people awake. And so, Rosalind, start me out, because I always start with my ladies. Uh, ladies first, and again, I want to thank you for joining us uh, for the first time on Black Politics today, so welcome to the show. And um, as a talk show host yourself, uh, do you find yourself scratching your head to understand the ignorance and stupidity of this administration as they, as they were try to respond to this pandemic? Because I know I do. I mean, it would seem to me just the real basic things can be said and done, and we could have the leadership like Mark, um uh, Cuomo, Andrew Cuomo is doing in New York from this dude down in at 1600, but we don't get that. And so I know you talked about it on your show. What do you, what's your response? Is, is it ignorance, stupidity to you, or is it just me? No, it's not just you. <laughs> Hello, everybody. Um, it's not just you. I'm a New York native, and I have actually been just disgusted and just hurt in so many ways. Um, the lack of sympathy. Uh, from the administration, especially from my hometown, New York City, just to see them and see the photos on Instagram and seeing the despair in people's eyes and conversating with personal that I know of um, during this time, it's very saddened um, to even have to read articles about the city that I love, the city that never sleeps, um, to be under these conditions and also based even in the southern states as well. Um, and with that being said, there's just so many misleading things that he has said publicly from conferences that it's starting to, as you would say, just become annoying and just, I just sometimes don't even want to read the tweet. I, I don't want to read the articles, but I have to be informative to my own viewers and supporters as well. So it's not just you, you know, it's not just you at all. You know, um, to get into a lot of the different misleading things that he has stated numerous times on broadcast, you know, Trump has repeatedly expressed his suppressed and thought at the scale that is ridiculous in regards to the coronavirus and how it's been spreading across the world and races, you know, across the U.S., you know, um, and just different separate briefings, you know, just different things that he thinks this is not that bad and he thinks this is a hoax and there's different things. It just seems there's just it so much been. evidence, however, that, yeah. It, I, it I mean, is. Right. It has been crazy. Right. It's been crazy. It's and, been, Mr. Speaker, yes, I mean, looking, thinking about it from a political standpoint, because his whole thing was – he didn't want to come out and have all the testing. He didn't want to make let people know exactly how many people were infected because he was afraid that the numbers were going to hurt him in his reelection campaign. Mm-hmm. And the uh, and the uh, and the problem with that, um, uh, uh, Speaker Frierson, was that he didn't even understand that had he done that and then suppressed it so that it did not expand to where it was, he would have been rewarded with that, as opposed to him thinking that the numbers on the front end. We're going to, if he suppressed the numbers on the front end, he wouldn't have to worry about the back end. And your tenure in politics, uh, Speaker, have you seen anyone respond to a national emergency in this kind of fashion, or even a state emergency in this fashion, and and have so so much acrimonious manner given little care for life? I have, quite frankly, never seen a complete disregard for the truth the way we are seeing now uh, than, 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 than ever in the history of this country. 
uh, not only has our president failed to act, uh, our president actually took action prior to this crisis to make us less capable of dealing with a pandemic by getting rid of personnel who were in place to prepare for such uh, a, a pandemic and then ignoring the advice of experts over months before this came out, let alone ignoring it once it started in China. So we were at, at the very least three weeks behind, if not further, than we had to be because the, 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 the person in 1600, as you say, is much more concerned about ratings. He's much more concerned uh, about the 45% that support him that are unshakable uh, than the truth. And so he has figured out that they will believe whatever he says, and he will continue to say there's nothing to see here until forced to change direction. Um, and unfortunately for the country, we've seen that happen already, where they're being forced to extend uh, the, the, the declaration of an emergency uh, for folks to stay at home because of his inaction. Um, and here we are at the state level being forced to act, uh, act because, number one, that's where the action is now, where states are being put in a position of leading, but also without the tools that we need. We're not getting masks from the federal government. We're not getting a lot of direction from the federal government. And quite frankly, the most vocal Democratic governors are getting ignored and openly acknowledged to have not being worthy of a return phone call. Uh, this is embarrassing <laughs> and, and, and shameful. It's crazy. And, right. That's just crazy to me. I don't understand how you as the president, and I, and I, and I use that term loosely because uh, I would never and have never referred to him as that. That's why I say 1600 or whatever else I say. But you're going to publicly state that people in these states are not worthy of getting services, and therefore because they're not appreciative of you and acclaiming praise upon you, you're going to not respond. You're not going to pick up a phone and respond to them. Who does that, Speaker? Well, not not leaders, and and again, and, and I know we're going to talk about the census, uh, but if 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 your song singing, uh, you know, uh, Teddy Pendergrass asking everybody to wake up is more timely than ever because we are now seeing that not only do we have to show up for the census, which I know we're going to talk about, but we have to remember that it's not just the federal elections that matter. It is the state election uh, decisions that impact our daily lives. We are the folks that are implementing policies that affect everybody's day-to-day -day lives. And this is a, a reminder more than anything else that we cannot uh, turn away. We have to show up. We have to participate. And we got to do it all the way down the ballot because what's happening uh, at the federal level, in particular in the White House, is embarrassing. And not only is it ineffective, but it's counterproductive. It's, it's taking us backwards. Uh, we're going to have to take decades to dig ourselves out of the situation. Uh, I am hopeful and confident that we'll be able to start that in November. Mm -hmm. But until then, there's a long way to go of dealing with the damage that he's causing. It is. If Absolutely. you want to join the conversation, Absolutely. give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143 if you have a question or a comment. Antoine, I don't know if you're a grandparent yes, or not, my brother, but uh, I could probably guess that you're, you're not likely at this stage in your life or your career and your current age and, and what you've got going on right now to give up your life as Lieutenant Governor of Texas is suggesting that so many people who are grandparents are just willing to give up their life for Corona because of their grandchildren. So they don't have to live under this debt. Now, mind you, the debt is a debt that Trump has put on top of us, $2 trillion. But mm -hmm. why would someone be so foolish enough and ignorant enough and a sycophant as much as he is to say, Oh, if I was a grandparent, I would just give up my life because I want to make sure my grandchildren don't have to live under this debt that you caused. Now, mind you, you caused this debt. 
So you've caused the increase of it. I mean, mm-hmm. how do you how do you say or do something like this and still expect people to follow you or or, or ingratiate themselves to you and then say, oh yeah, we should just let the grandparents die. And, 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 and that way we don't have to worry about that. And if they have to die, it's okay and it's good for the economy. Oh, well, well, it's, it's so interesting you say that because there's really two things, and I'm, I'm going to take you up on where you started. One thing the Bible says is that a good man leaves a treasure for his kids and his kids' kids, right? I mean, that's the thing we're supposed to do. Uh, right. And if you look at it, the reason, quite candidly, the reason I think he says it and does it because he's, got away, he's gotten away with it for years. And so it's learned behavior. If I learn at the end of the day, if I say something, people would, would believe me. My, 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 my base is baked in. And at the end of the day, I've been rewarded for these things. Why would I do something different? And so I think at the end of the day, and I think the senator said, the speaker said this earlier, I think we have to do a really good job. That's why I love what, you, what, you, what, you, what you're doing here, because we have to educate people on the impacts of what we did three and a half years ago. We have to understand and say, okay, guys, if we don't respond politically in a way appropriately, we don't respond in this manner, we're going to repeat this. And at a level we're repeating this in the last term of a president who at that point has no accountability, you know, you're talking about making this mild as compared to what we do. And I think oh, the education process of, of that is going to be incredible. So I, I do think at this point that we want to make sure legacy is important, and, and particularly in, in the African-American community, where we don't think about legacy as much, where we think about, particularly in business, where we build, we, te- we take, and we consume. And with those people that are at a level where they were able to set a platform are at a point where you want to be able to set that up for the next generation. So I think this is a critical point that all the, all the wealth and, and, and things that some businesses have amassed are going to completely disappear. If you invested in the stock market, you saw that win. And now you're talking about right. somebody who has a business who's seen that thing disappear. Right, right. And and, and to have this absolutely. and, and Rosalind, I uh, I checked out your last broadcast. I think it was the last one, one before, where you highlight the impact of uh, Corona uh, on small businesses and and clearly the shutdown of of many counties, localities, and even some of the states now. DC, we right. we got to stay at home order today. Um, how yeah. it hits small businesses so hard. In your opinion, how should this administration respond it to minimize the impact of our business sector so that we wouldn't be in in, in, in this position today where we are? How should they have responded as opposed to how they did respond? I mean, there's evidence, however, that not only was the Trump administration warned about the potential of a pandemic and its dangers to the Americans, but it was given a plan, you know, on how to deal with it, which was promptly shelved. Like, they completely ignored it. I, I don't know how many pages exactly was in this playbook, but it gave a, a step-by-step instruction on how to fight this pandemic. You know, it was crafted during the wake of the Ebola break back in, I think, 2016, if I'm not mistaken. And it contained all the evidence on tracking the spread of a new virus, how people, how to ensure testing was going to be conducted effectively and so forth. And the incoming administration, as far as Trump is concerned, was brief. They were brief to know. And that effect of him just showing the example of being a leader has, impacted, has affected the small business in a great numerous ways because you have a lot of people that are stepping out for themselves, most for the first time, to leave their nine-to-five jobs and to become small business owners. And to be honest, there's more, more business owners that are small booming all over the country within the last couple of years, especially for African-American women. African-American yeah, women yeah, is, is women. actually on the rise 
more than men that Absolutely. are owning businesses yeah. now. And right. this is Absolutely. tremendous. This is a setback. This is a setback for a lot of single mothers coming out of communities where it's just a one single parent household. It's a big major setback, especially for daycare workers. You know, janitorial services. There's so much things that has affected the community. And not even the hours are being cut. You know, we have this tremendous bailout, which I'm not even going to go there. I'm going to give you the opportunity to just introduce that topic. But it's just a, a tremendous blow to our economy, especially to our communities, where people are not making ends meet because they're relying on just one source in the household with numerous children, one or two. And it's very hard. It's very hard. Yeah, it is. Speaker, Speaker Fireson, politically, how does he get out of this uh, without taking uh, the full blame for his blunder and, and handling this economy? Because the, the economy is going to take a toll. I mean, the uh, economists and everyone has already said that we're likely to go into a very deep recession, tipping on a depression, because that $2, billion, $2 trillion is not going to be enough. They're going to have to go back and do it again. They already did $8 billion. Then they came back and doing the $2 trillion. They're saying that it's upwards of probably 10 to $15 trillion that we're going to need to pull ourselves out of this, which is absolutely crazy uh, in terms of, you know, figures and, and thinking about trillions of dollars compared to millions or billions of dollars. How did he get out of this? Well, Not you know, that I, I, I think need honestly, him to or want him to, but because right. we need to make sure our country survives. How does he get out of this right. without having to take the full blame? Well, I, I think he's already told us, and it's time that we stop expecting him to be presidential. Uh, President Trump has already refused openly to take responsibility, so I don't think there's any reason for us to expect him to start taking responsibility at any point. Um, and so, again, we who care about the people that are being harmed by this are going to have to work around him to do the right thing. Um, we were talking about small businesses and the impact on small businesses. Well, there are lots of things that he could have done other than just small business uh, SBA loans. For example, on the state level, folks are making sure that small businesses uh, are not foreclosed on in their in, in where they where they have a business. Uh, that they are included in the ability to have a forbearance if either they or their employees are having a hardship. Uh, there's obviously going to be a hit, and it's going to be increasing with respect to uh, the state's budgets on unemployment insurance. And so these are things that could have been done in a comprehensive way. Uh, I don't expect him to take any responsibility. Again, he's continued to, to blame President Obama, even though uh, he removed people in place that President Obama put in place to deal with this very thing. And we are going to have to come together as states and take care of it because we care about the people who we live amongst. Um, but he is absolutely not going to take responsibility, and I'm, I am done holding my breath, uh, hoping that he'll turn around and be presidential. And it's crazy, Antoine. Um, how are – I think it was last week people were being polled and saying, oh, he's doing a great job. He, he's, I mean, he's handling this beautifully. He's doing a great job. We love it, and we approve of it. Who in the hell are they uh, polling? I mean, how can you say that – 100,000 cases in this country, more than any other country in the world, and we're at 3,000 deaths, and we're behind the eight ball. All the other countries are finding a peak and an apex, and they're going down. We're still trajectory. We're still going up. Who are they polling saying, this is a great job, and they're giving him credit for it, whereas he's saying, oh, it's not my job. It's not the, national, the you know, federal government's job. It's the state's job. The states are supposed to be doing this. They need to go out and find their own equipment. But it's a national pandemic. But we're going to break it down to each state to have it done. Who are these people that they're talking to, Antoine? 
Uh, that's, that's so funny because if I can find him, I want to be able to sell him some bridges because I have no idea who he's talking to in terms of getting this information. But they're, they're buying something, so okay. They're buying it. I'll see what we got in deep. They're buying something, and I'm not sure how and why they're buying this outside of the ignorance that, that folks have at the end of the day because it's interesting. Somebody brought up a good point. I mean, Cuomo has literally been presidential uh, by stepping up and saying, these are things that I'm doing. He's making unpopular decisions to save his people, and at the end of the day, right. it's working. Uh, right. but, but, and, 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 and you see folks in New York at this point. Now, and I got like about at least 100 people that work for me in New York, so I, I follow this every day, and it is sad to see what he's doing, but he has to make certain decisions. Uh, and, and I think, to be honest with you, his decision-making that he's doing is actually being received uh, positively, which I think Trump should learn about it. i got to make a tough decision that's not popular, but it's in the best interest of the people that I serve. And exactly. that's what he did. He, he did. He did. And, and he's made it. We're going to take a quick break. And I said, and that's what he did. That's what Cuomo did. Cuomo actually made some tough yeah. decisions. He said, this is what's going to happen. We're going to have to shut down. We have to close down. We have to do this. Um, and in doing so, look, this is how we're going to save lives. We're going to lose some, but this is how we're going to save them in the long run. And we're going to make sure that we stay on top of this so that we can make some choices and you're going to have to make some choices as citizens of this to make sure that you stay in place as well. I mean, the, the upper north, uh, northeast of the country, uh, state, he shut down. He closed it down and said, no, you keep your butts there. We got to keep it because this is where the influx is coming in from. Stay at home and let's get a hold on this. We'll be right back. We're going to take a quick break. We'll be right back. A social distancing tip. Putting distance between yourself and others is critical to slowing the spread of coronavirus. So here are ways to stay in contact without the physical contact part. Call, send a text, set up a video conference, post on social media, dedicate a song on the radio. If you have symptoms of fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your health care provider before going to their office. For more info, visit coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Hope you enjoyed your meal. And I just want to say, he's lucky to have a brother like you. Lucky? Caring for my brother is far from easy. But he's a part of me, like my arms and legs, so I'll be his. No time for tired. Nothing can disable this love. He needs me. But I'm the lucky one, even though I need help now and then. If you're caring for a loved one, visit aarp.org caregiving for care guides and community. Support for your strength. Brought to you by AARP and the Ad Council. You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African-American community. So join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143. Now, back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome back to this show. I'm your host, Kelly Michael Williams. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. That's 516-590-0143. Teddy saying it all. I mean, it's always one of them songs that you can always put up on it. Wake up, everybody, and let's pull it together. Um, speaker, let me let me ask you a question because uh, I, as we talked about in the intro, and as you mentioned, we're going to talk about the census because this is that area for me that's just vital to our community. 
is vital to us to make sure that $850 billion don't, you know, doesn't, you know, fall by the wayside, that we don't get just a billion, <laughs> that we get a good portion of that 850, that that 850 comes to our community, that it helps our states. Um, you, you spoke about it um, briefly about the impact of not just on a national level, but what we need to do on the state levels and identifying and saying how you and uh, the former uh, uh, Senate president were only the second tandem in history of this country to be African-Americans and lead in the state legislature and how impactful and powerful that is. Talk to me about how vital, uh, the, the vital nature of, of this census is to our community on the local, state, and federal levels, because clearly uh, states like uh, North Carolina, states like uh, Georgia and places like that where they have stacked the deck and packed it, this is going to be our political power for the next 10 years. If, if we lose, the next 10 years can be devastating to us like the previous 10 years after Obama got into office have been, uh, especially on the federal courts. Talk to us about how vital the census are and the response to the census so that people don't think that the you know, federal government is going to come after them once they respond to the census. Right. Uh, you know, look, not only is the federal government um, not using or even allowed to use the census, but it's unlawful for anyone to use any information gathered in the census for any purpose other than collecting that data. But it is vitally important, and right now we are seeing it, that states get a return on their investment in the federal government. And the way that we're able to do that for the next decade is to make sure that as many folks are counted as possible. That means as many homeless folks. That means as many Latino folks. That means as many African-American folks who normally see a stranger coming at the door uh, as, as a threat that we need to not be afraid and be enthusiastic about being counted. Uh, it also means that our folks who had a, uh, encountered with the criminal justice system that are hesitant need to also make sure that they're counted because this is federal dollars that come back to our communities to help our communities. And every dollar we leave on the table is a dollar some other state is getting. Uh, you know, look, I'm the first African-American speaker in, in, in Nevada. Uh, we were the first pair uh, in the state and the second in the country, but we also have a female majority led legislature for the first time in the history of the entire country. Um, we are not uh, all in one community. We are spread throughout and we are all, all, you know, genders and backgrounds and we need to make sure that every single facet of our community uh, is engaged and counted. If we need to volunteer to make sure that we're going out, going door to door for those households that didn't fill it out, it, it takes 10 minutes and it is the most important thing that we could do for the next decade for our communities. And Antoine, if you look at it from a, uh, from a small business standpoint, uh, small business and, and being able to get uh, money coming into your community to help and support in various areas, especially if you're a, a, a contractor or if you're doing things with block grants or if you're doing anything with uh, health care, if you're doing anything with school education, the prison system, whatever the case may be, small businesses and their response and their participation in that from a residential uh, lay uh, perspective, but also as a small business owner, leaders looking at this uh, because of those dollars and where they're going to impact. What, uh, what do you tell small business leaders? How should small business leaders look at this and, and think about it from a dollar perspective as well as from uh, a, a political power perspective? Because, look, they need lobbyists. They need to be able to lobby their legislator and things of that nature. Wouldn't they want to have someone in there that's like them in there that they can lobby? 
See, that's why you are who you are right now, because that, that was my key point. I mean, at the end of the day, I think as small business owners, and we're becoming much more uh, educated regarding the process. And the first thing we got to understand is appropriation. And at the end of the day, right. if we don't understand that appropriations are critically important and you want to make sure appropriations are based on your relationships and what people have and do they have in common that, to have your issues. And if at the end of the day, we don't understand that process. We do ourselves injustice because from an appropriation perspective is about where the projects, where are the projects coming in? Are those projects related to the things that I have the capacity to do? Um, exactly. But it really goes back to what you guys both mentioned, interesting, is trust. Historically, African Americans do not trust when you put census information because of what you mentioned. Historically, it's been abused, or the perception that it's been abused. Um, we got folks that we know that may be a part of the criminal justice society or a part of these things. And so our perspective is if I complete this, that means there's something you're going to know about me that I don't want you to know. And I think it goes back to an incumbent upon, uh, I guess, two people here, three people here, and all of us have a, a relationship at a national level. And, you know, for me, it's on being the vice chair of the U.S. Black Chamber, and we're trying to tell people, understand, guys, that the appropriations across the country are important, and we have to, we have to make sure that the red lines and the lines that are drawn are to be drawn in the favor but that it's fair and equitable. Uh, and I think it's critical that we do that. But it's going to be an education process because of the fear monger that we have uh, in certain areas that are in power and the fact that historically what, what our perceptions are, what they will do that, with that information. And exactly, uh, Rosalind, because we right now, because of Corona, we can't meet at church. We can't meet at our Alpha and our Kappa, yep. our, our Delta places. We, we can't have these mm -hmm. meetings any longer where we can actually collectively come together. We can talk about it. We can put it out there. But because we're so uptight about Corona, we're not even thinking about this stuff. We, I mean, no. we have the elections on hold. We got, you know, census on hold. We have all, everything is on hold. Life is on hold. Your job's on mm -hmm. hold. You, whether you're getting evicted or uh, foreclosed on, so much is on hold that this right here could actually be a game changer for the other side. And we could literally miss out, not only politically, but economically. I mean, right. what are you saying to, and what advice are you giving to some of your small business owners? And, and how are you talking about this on your talk show? Um, on a professional level, uh, what should they be doing and what should, uh, what advice can you give them so that any of those following you listening to you tonight can be impacted by and actually move to action? Oh, definitely. I would definitely advise all business owners to step outside themselves of being selfish. Um, get to know your craft and, and focus more on your branding tactics, even the more. Um, a lot of times we expect that consumers and people in our general population know what we are producing and know that we are good to trust, and a lot of times we're not. You know, image is everything, and your approach is very important. And overall, people need to feel comfortable. You know, like the gentleman said, we have to be comfortable in trust. You know, we have to gain the trust back. You know, there's a lot of things that has impacted our communities because of the coronavirus. You're dealing with racism. You're dealing with certain populations, including immigration, incarcerated people are dealing with this effect, people over 60 years old, people with disabilities, people with special needs, you know. And then, like I said, when you're a business owner, you should also care about your demographic. You should really care about what does your business, how can it impact and help those in those different sectors? You know, is your business helping those that are 60 and over? What can you do if it's not? And I think that we need to kind of remap and reformulate, you know, our recipes in regards to really helping our businesses stay afloat. 
with our branding tactics and how we impact and deal with our communities. We need to get more out there and be more reachable. And, Mr. Speaker, um, how is Nevada's state party addressing this issue? Because I personally feel like every state party, Democratic state party especially, needs to lead with the census, the federal and state courts, and the political power over the next decade. And concluded with um, uh, your response to, you know, uh, get out to vote and to ensure that they do that. But what is NDP doing uh, to try to address the issue and make sure that everyone in the state of Nevada knows about the census, understands the impact of what could happen on the federal courts? Because literally, we could see a six to three Republican majority for the next 30, 40, 50 years, uh, you know, impacting the way. Uh, if if we're not if we don't play our cards right, I mean Democrats right. blew in the sixteen right. and and lost lost sight of what was really going on. And if they wanted Merrick Garland, then they shouldn't have voted for Donald Trump, regardless of whether or not they liked Hillary or not. They should have gotten that seat because right now Democrats could have a six to three power band on the federal uh, Supreme Court, and all those judgeships that Trump has pointed over two hundred federal judgeships right now they're they're looking to go to court. They're looking to change laws because if they get the majority in whatever state it is, they're going to petition courts about health care, reproductive rights, all those things, and those federal courts are going to rule in favor of their conservative values, and they're going to move forward. So what is your party doing there in in Nevada, and and how are they addressing the census in federal courts? So we, we have been very active in collaborating both with the legislature, the state party, and our congressional delegation to make sure that we get the word out. Uh, our, our constitutional officers and governor have been great partners in making sure that we sell, uh, sell it actively because it's so incredibly important. And you, you mentioned the federal courts. Uh, you know, I, I'm an attorney by trade that no one could see that they would go so far as to even change the nature of the Ninth Circuit. Uh, and that was right. for uh, the progressive community, uh, a, a, a very safe circuit for progressive issues. And yet we see the entire federal bench changing with lifetime appointees, and they're smarter about it and making sure that they're not only uh, ideologues but young ideologues that we're going to be stuck with for a long time. And and these are the folks that make decisions that we all have to live by. These are the folks that make decisions about uh, – uh, issues that impact and disproportionately impact communities of color. Um, and I think that that was a uh, two things. That was a shortcoming that we had in our discussions about trying to beat Trump was the reality of what could happen to the courts. And then I think, uh, you know, the other issue is uh, we cannot simply say that our candidate didn't make it so we're staying home. There's too right. much at stake. And exactly. so I think what, what, what happened last time was people stayed home not fully realizing all of the ways that our lives are going to be impacted for decades. And I hope mm-hmm. that now that we see that, that we're going to wake up, that we're going to participate, be fired up to make sure that our neighbors participate um, because we can't afford another four years like this. Uh, Mr. Speaker, you're exactly right. And that's, that, that was my whole thing. I said, I'm not understanding how you sit here and you say, okay, well, fine. I want to radical. I want to break up everything, but you lose sight of exactly what you're fighting for. You're sitting here arguing and fighting about Merrick Garland not getting a hearing for 11 months, but then you go out there and put the man in there who you know is not going to put Merrick Garland on the bench. And then you go out and rally and fight against his other appointments. What the hell does that do? That does nothing. You have no control for it. So I'm thinking, I'm sitting here saying, 
and I hear now that Bernie's talking about he's going to stay in the race. I, I, I get it, but at the same time, sit your behind down and let's coalesce and move forward. If you're not going to get the, the, the delegates and the nomination, what are you fighting for? Now's the time for you to coalesce and now get your agenda on the platform so that you can now have, you know, a, a reason. But if you drag it out like you did in 16, people are going to be very pissed off and be like, you know what, we're going to cut everything off. And that may hurt the party as well, because then the, the progressives are going to say, oh, well, we're not going to, we're going to do this. And they will literally spite well, you, you know, exactly like Trump voters. They will cut off their I, nose I, to spite their face. I, I, but, you know, one thing that strikes me, I don't believe that a lot of young folks really know struggle the way some other folks know struggle. And no, they even don't. the last election, when I saw folks cheering that Trump, uh, Trump beat, uh, you know, any Democrat, I, I told them, look, I'm going to probably be all right either way. It, it won't be nice, but I'll be all right. But you're sleeping on my couch for the last month of this campaign. You have student loan debt. You are going to be who is largely impacted by this. So let's take a step back. For eight years, we had a president who we loved. And there are are generations of folks that are not accustomed to having to make a choice of what they perceive as uh, being the lesser of two evils. But we cannot afford to stay home and live with what's going to happen to our court system, to our society, long after whoever the next president is going to be, because uh, those policies are going to continue on, and those federal nominees are going to continue on as well. And it's just too much at stake to risk it. It, it really is. I agree. I'm going to take another quick break. Agree. And uh, when we come back, we're going to talk $2 trillion and exactly how does that add up for the black community. We'll be right back. Hi, I'm Danica Patrick. Watching my nieces grow, play, and learn is amazing, but not every child gets to be carefree. One in six kids in the U.S. are hungry. This breaks my heart, and it's something that Feeding America is working to change. Each year, the Feeding America network of food banks rescues billions of pounds of good food that would have gone to waste and gives it to families in need. To help, visit feedingamerica.org. Brought to you by Feeding America and the Ad Council. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus. So if you have a fever, dry cough, and shortness of breath, call your healthcare provider before going in. More info at coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. Social distancing slows the spread of coronavirus. So stay a minimum of six feet away from others and stay home if you can. More info at coronavirus.gov. Let's all do our part because we're all hashtag alone together. Brought to you by the Ad Council. You're listening to Black Politics Today, an eye for what's at stake in global politics, and your source for the social, economic, and political impact on the African American community. So join the conversation at 516-590-0143 and share your viewpoint at 516-590-0143. Now, back to your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Welcome back to the show. This is Kelly Michael Williams. If you want to join the conversation, give us a call at 516-590-0143. My guest tonight, Antoine Ford, is the president and CEO of Enlighten Incorporated. He's also the uh, founder and president of the Greater Washington um, Con- uh, Chamber of Commerce. And also join us is Rosalyn L. She's a talk show host in New York. With the word of, word of advice, she's also a motivational speaker and contributor 
to Black Politics Today magazine. And of course, we also have my good friend from Nevada, the state uh, assembly speaker, Mr. Jason Fireson, uh, Speaker of the House there in Nevada, the first African-American elected to that seat and one that I'm sure will hold it for the duration of his terms there in office. Uh, coming back to you, Antoine, let's talk about this $2 trillion and how it's going to impact us. Um, Congress passed it, and we talked earlier about whether or not it's going to be enough or not. What are you doing there at the chamber to make sure some of the small black businesses um, are able to get the maximum benefit from this bill? What, what uh, type of um, uh, output or information are you uh, trying to put together? Because you can't meet. So how are you, how are you being creative enough to put things out and, and get them able to uh, get this information so that they can take advantage of it? No, good, great point. I think there's a couple things. Uh, the, the beauty of the national organization with the, uh, the U.S. Black Chamber is that we're able to be able to collaborate with chambers across the country and look at some of the best practices and share information because this information, quite candidly, is as new as anybody else. No one has their total arms around it. Um, so our overall goal is to get information, first of all, to our members, uh, not only in D.C., but across the country, so they're able right. to kind of understand, okay, what is the information you need? And you need to start gathering information quickly because this is a big queue that's set up, right? And right. so first in, first out. Um, and so we got to get this information to people because, to be honest with you, the requirements differ significantly. Um, we've spent some time uh, uh, with some of our lawyers, our accountants, our bankers to see what the loan packages look like. And this is where uh, we really got to be able to help our businesses because some of our businesses, particularly our mom and pop shops that are – that are really out there trying to struggle and grow, they got to have very sophisticated financials. And you got, in some cases, you got to have your balance. You got to have your balance sheet. You got to have your profit and loss statement. Um, you got to have a contract list. You got to get, you need to be able to document certain losses that you have, and pending losses. And so this is where we have to work significantly with our businesses and helping them prepare themselves, and quite honest, quite honestly, work together uh, a little bit more than we usually have in the past. Um, with folks to be able to help them prepare and literally not leave one, leave one another behind because there's so much urgency where uh, we could be very selfish uh, in this perspective. Um, uh, and I think somebody said earlier, we got to work together to say, hey, listen, I got my package. Here's my best practices. So we're trying to encourage our members to share as much information about this because we literally had meetings today. Uh, matter of fact, the U.S. Black Chamber, you know, Ron Busby is a friend of both of ours. Uh, we have some meetings coming up. I'll make sure we get it so your audiences come up because we're trying to get uh, information about the CARES package, which is have significant tax incentives, payroll produ- payroll protection. So this right. information, we're trying to get it out nationally to all of our members. I'll make sure we get it out to you so you can share it with your audience. But uh, we're really looking at this. The money's real. Um, you just got to get in line because, to be honest with you, the money has no color specific on it. And so we are prepared for it. It will be taken up fast. And, and in a hurry. Fast and in a hurry. And some of the things that the bill will do is um, there's um, $350 billion for small businesses, and it will allow banks to lend directly to the businesses, and those loans will be yeah. backed by the SBA. Uh, one of the other things is, is that um, uh, you would not have to repay portions of it that are spent on paying employees a mortgage, rent, yeah. or utilities. Uh, but then also they're saying that some of the requirements are going to be lax in terms of what you have to do to report to actually get some of these grants and some of the loans. And I think that's what you're talking about is, is making sure that you, your small businesses have the information that they need so that they can make sure they qualify and get this, get this um, 
um, the, the loan information and, and be able to get uh, um, qualified and be able to get this money because it, it, depending on what their uh, payroll is and their, their, I guess, their operating costs are, they can get 100% mm-hmm. of that operating cost. Um, and oh, so, and, um, and, and, and there's no fees and interest and interest is capped at 4%. But if they do everything right in terms of making sure that it's for employees, it's mortgage, it's rent, it's utility, it's, it's, it's product and, and basically maintaining and not necessarily expanding, then they don't have to pay this money back, which is, I mean, no, they don't. You know, and you're talking about basically being able to look at those funds and, lo- and they call it loan forgiveness. You're really to right. manage this money effectively, make sure you're using it specifically where you are. And if you're able to do payroll protection, um, and even deferred in some cases, you can defer your payroll taxes for a number of years. Um, so right. it, it's chock full of rules for us in terms of managing money well to be able to sustain yourself over this time period and to retain your key employees. Um, and so I think that's what we're really looking at because it's a very difficult time to get your key folks. But if you can protect your wealth uh, that you put into your business, the intrinsic value, you may not be able to, to ascertain that the, the, the liquidity that you have, but certainly this allows you to be able to retain your assets and not to be able to file bankruptcy. And so it does have some, I mean, it's beautiful at, at the end of the day, but I think at the end of the day, our challenge in our community is going to get people to understand that they should trust it again and to move quickly. Right. Um, with right. grants. Because it's, only, it's, it's limited. It's, uh, there's a limit of $10 million uh, to businesses of employees, 500 or less. So that's all of us because um, yeah. all of our yeah. small businesses clearly going to have 500 or less employees. It's going to be three or five. But being able to get the maximum amount from that is going to be key. Roslyn, big businesses will also get a big chunk of this. In fact, they get a fourth of this, $500 billion, which is absolutely mm-hmm. stupid crazy and I, yes. I, I'm still trying to understand why we still need to bail out the airlines the hotels and everybody else because we bailed them out with that two trillion dollar tax cut because that's exactly oh, who it went to yes. um, and mm-hmm. now we're giving them another uh, 500 billion to do the same thing again and only because Democrats said you cannot go back and buy stock you can't do uh, uh, um, increase in, in salaries and things of that nature but there's still some other loopholes in there that they can still do some of that in, in a roundabout way. But it was going to give Mnuchin a chance to say, oh, sure, go right ahead. Oh, you want to do that? Go right mm-hmm. ahead. But they were able to stop right. some of that. How do, you know, how will this, if at all, be able to help small businesses? Because a lot of small businesses subcontract and, and do things with big businesses. But the big businesses, they get the chance to say how they're going to do that, use that money. Is there any way of it being filtered down to these small businesses so that, as Anton was talking about, outside of just what they have to do personally, there's still some benefit from them to sort of get the crumbs from the table, if you will, from the big businesses of what they're they're supposed to do? Well, looking at and just doing my research, you know, loans to a lot of these industries, like you said, is $500 billion. And what they got, the Treasury Department would divvy up, like you said, $500 billion pot of loans and struggling industries like the airlines and all these stuff. And why that all matters, you know, doing research is rules added to the bill will order an inspector, like a general, and a probability or accountability committee to oversee all this stuff. Now, in my personal opinion about that, you know, you're going to be just giving out in so much different things. If someone is not responsible to make sure that the effectiveness of the oversight will only be strong, mm-hmm and also be able to give power that we really need to have to be secured. You know, look at all those bailouts that happened previously, you know, and, and recent statistics. 
you know, what was that, the 2008 bailout? that we had, right. I mean, they right. have to really understand that where this money going and making sure that they have a steady paper trail on what's going on, you know? I mean, it's just money just being given here, money be given there. Mm-hmm. They're giving a, a lot of stuff, and they need to make sure that they have a, a person, rather than just giving a treasurer, secretary, you know, uh, just any kind of power, but they need to be able to cut the loan checks, you know, make sure that they have things structured. Like, we can really see where this money is going. And now they're just constantly just giving money, money, where they're using it as a cushion, but there's nothing being implied that they're going to do something that's going to show these different effects. We need action. Right. We need to see results. We need to see something actually going on with the money that we are giving out. Because at the end of the day, our generations to come are going to have to repay all that money back. Right. And, and, and Mr. Speaker, this is just for businesses and small um, uh, small businesses, big businesses, and and people who are been displaced and unemployed and things of that nature, they're still having to come back to actually make um, uh, money for the local government because they really didn't give local governments the money that was needed for them to do what they need to do. I think uh, New York was complaining. Uh, Governor Cuomo was saying he's going to get like three point five billion. He's already fifteen billion in a hole because of what the federal government hadn't done in the beginning. So I can only imagine what you guys have to deal in Nevada, what, you know, uh, Colorado's going to have to do, what Texas is going to have to do, what California's going to have to do. You guys got the probably only $150 billion out of this. You got less than the big businesses, which is crazy. How does the local government only get $150 billion or $300 billion, but this, the, the big businesses who have been making money hand over fist for the last eight years are, are they're getting the majority of the money? Um, how do you guys deal with this? Um, how will your state fare in the grand scheme of things economically? And what figures do you guys need to see come through on this next go round to make sure that your state is solvent? Our, our lifeline is, is it, it, it is mortifying to look at what we are seeing right now because what Nevada is and what Las Vegas is predominantly is, is relying on the, the, the tourism industry. And so the fact right. that we have so poorly managed this up to this point means not only is it going to prolong uh, a comeback, but it's also going to, once we open up the borders again, once we have tourism picking up again, it's going to be slow to pick up because uh, we were so slow as a nation to act. But, you know, this is this president giving out favors to his friends, which is something that we have seen. I've actually talked with corporate leaders who said, don't give it to us. We're ready. We'll be able to absorb this. You know, mm-hmm. find better places. But I agree 100%. We, we, we recognize that big and small businesses are going to need to be able to hire people back. There's no problem with that. But when there's no accountability and no checks and balances, then there's no assurance that that money is going towards that. And the very people that were laid off, there's no guarantee they're going to get rehired. And that's the kind of oversight that we need. And we need to not release money unless we see a return on that with people bringing people back to work, with people expanding benefits and paid leave and taking care of their workers, many of whom are going to be out of work and out of a paycheck for three months. So I I, I agree, but right now the strip is completely empty, and it is scary because that's what we rely on to pay for our basic services. It's going to be a wake-up call for Nevada and for a lot of other states about how we budget for the next, you know, disaster. Uh, But this next year is going to be, uh, I think, scary for a lot of states, Nevada certainly included. I know I've been I've been looking at news coverages and, and looking at the strip. I mean, every hotel closed down, casino closed down. It's just it's crazy to me to think of just what 
day to day walking, you know, day to day life is in, in Las Vegas, especially right now, and where it's going. And Antoine, uh, the speaker uh, said something about that, about that accountability and dealing with the idea of the employees being hired back, whether or not they're going to be hired back, and what the accountability is going to be for these uh, even small businesses and and large businesses to ensure that the people that they had on payroll are coming back, or if they laid them off already before this uh, bill was passed and signed, will those people be eligible to come back? And what concerned me originally was that they were going to pass this money through the businesses to get to the employees. And I was like, oh, hell, that ain't going to the employees. I mean, are you kidding me? That was not going to happen. Oh, we got to give this money to the businesses so that they can then make sure they get it to their employees. Nah, that wasn't going to work. Mm-hmm. I, I appreciate the fact that Democrats said, no, let's give it to the state. Mm-hmm. And, and, and they're the easiest uh-huh. person who would know because they pay state income tax or federal income tax. Let them get it that way because we know exactly who they are and where they are. And we can tell and see where it's going to go and who's going to get it. So how, how do we do this? What's going to happen? I mean, we can imagine, we can, you know, theorize what will happen. But if when you don't have accountability, as we had with the bailout uh, on the banks. When you don't have accountability, you're talking about $500 billion. Are, are employees going to get that? No. Are, are, are we going to help? Are they going to have any chance of getting that? And then how are you dealing with no. it from your perspective on the national level with um, uh, uh, USCBC, um, uh, Chamber of Commerce, I mean, uh, being able to make sure that those small businesses, they get that money and they're able to rehire their employees because their employees are the benefactors of, of their, their system in their community. Yeah, no, you're, you're 100%. And one of the things, uh, uh, one of the things that's important, particularly with the states having, is, is a level of accountability that at the end of the day, if you put in the state's hand, and then it's public, it's transparent, and there's a level of accountability that we, we were asking. So one of the things that we're asking, both locally in Washington and nationally, is that as you bail out these large organizations, first of all, let us get to the point where you're raising the requirement for MBE spend, such that if you're saying you're going to raise and they have to spend money, make the requirement larger that they spend it with minority and black 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 organizations. First of all, right. Second of all, right. You're not going to put that in the hand. You're not going to put that in the hands of, of individual companies and believe they're going to pass through. I think somebody mentioned earlier with the bank. At the end of the day, I had a loan with a particular bank. I won't mention them. Uh, and then basically they got bailed out, and then they basically said we're now we're no longer loaning money. And so no good entrepreneur that is going to really look at that unless they care about their community. And most folks that are large businesses are caring about their shareholders. Right. So unless this is actually going to be put in the hands of somebody who's going to be accountable in that community, we're going to be in trouble. So I'm glad it's the fact that we're pushing it to the state at that level because it's going to be a level of transparency and a level of reporting that we need and require. So real quick, as as we get ready to to close out, I'm going to ask all three of you the same question and just give you a different piece of it as, as I talk to you, Rosalind, I'm going to start with you. Um, Mm. What, when you, when you look at this pandemic and if this pandemic continues and we move into August and September and into that fourth quarter, what do you see happening to the small business community? Well, the coronavirus is likely, you know, to disrupt, disrupt, you know, international supply chains. I mean, just restraining global travel and all kinds of things from tourism, retail, and as well as, like, the whole flow of our labor, you know, our, our capital and goods. So looking forward, I see that a lot of the market players are going to 
not only begin to understand the potential effects and influence the global outbreak, but I think that also internationally we're going to be more responsible. I really think that um, globally a lot of companies as well, you know, are going to probably just start being mindful how we suspend production, you know, closing certain facilities, our retail outlets. I really think that we're going to look at international trading and overall just how we maintain information a lot differently going forward. Antoine, what's it going to mean to our economy if this goes into the fourth quarter? Yeah, and it's interesting because I basically see a, a consolidation of organizations. Um, I see uh, significant – we definitely will hit a recession. I mean, there's no way they don't get to a point where with that type of money that they're putting out that they don't have to raise interest rates. Um, they're going to definitely have to make sure that um, uh, uh, some of the money has to be repaid at some point. And so you're talking about at some point taxes being raised, and that's going to be interesting. He's going to raise taxes in a Republican administration, but I don't know – Unless you're going to print more money, which means that you devalue it, you almost got to head into a slight recession. And so um, my recommendation that we're talking to uh, small businesses, even large businesses, is looking at consolidating and joining and merging together because uh, you're able to cut costs and some of your overhead costs. But other than that, I do see a recession in, in rising interest rates because you can't keep them this low that long. And and just looking at that, I mean, you know how our businesses are. Our businesses are are yep. uh, not prone to want to consolidate or or you know join together, and especially on the economic stand front, because there's afraid of fear of of missing out. How are you going to soothe that and easiness to make sure people understand? Look, if if you're good on the production side and you're good on the on the um, you know management side and you're able to do this, we can you know I can still manage, you still produce, and we come together and we're able to still do the same thing. But we're just going to combine our efforts because we're still doing you know you know Susie wheels or whatever we're doing and, and making it work together. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, one of the things that we we've been pushing for a number of years on, uh, if you remember, Aubrey Stone, uh, one of the founders out yeah, of California, my uncle, proponent of joint venture. Yeah, he's yeah. the godfather, and he was a big proponent of getting joint ventures. And so that yeah. although we may, we may not have micro opportunities, if we're able to form a joint venture, there's larger opportunities that's going to be spent in our businesses if we come together and to be able to show the value proposition by the opportunities coming to fruition. I think we had a really good opportunity, and I think Aubrey really set that, rest his soul, set that as a standard out in California, and we continue to push his dream. I think it's a good way out. Oh, good. Mr. Speaker, how is this going to impact our presidential and congressional election, elections as well as state and all of the political issues and ramifications that can come about if this uh, goes into the fourth quarter? And we're looking at census, uh, 2020 presidential, congressional races, state races. What's going to happen there? Well, you know, I, I really think that the first time three years ago people didn't fully realize what would happen they didn't realize what kind of president Trump would be. Uh, I believe that his base will fracture. Uh, if this continues on in the fourth quarter, I believe it's going to be his rural folks that are going to be impacted by this. I think uh, a larger portion of the middle class is going to be uh, impacted on a greater scale. Uh, I, I think it's going to fire people up to engage, pay attention, and turn out. Um, and, and I, I, you know, I, I have to hope that because – so far, even if their bottom line has been impacted, he's kept his base. Uh, but when people start dying, and this is not something right. that's based on color, or but when people start dying, then I think people will start to recognize the failures from a leadership perspective, and it's going to be, again, put back on the states until our next 
election to, to, to take the lead because we are going to be on the front lines managing our resources and making those difficult decisions on cuts. I, I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Roslyn, what's at stake for us? I think in, in overall aspects of everything, I really think that we're just going to just be more and more, you know, just focused on just what's going on with the whole congregational statewide local and candidates and really following everything that's going on here on out. You know, the, the virus, in my opinion, has fundamentally transformed the political life in America, okay? You know, affecting how candidates communicate with the voters, raising money for donors, confronting components, and you name it. And I think that going forward, this is for now, the country's first um, most important campaign coming up, at, and, you know, as the risk of the disease and physically separates uh, our candidates from the people they seek to represent. I think it's going to push seekers, you know, people from Biden and other people to appeal to more homebound voters and really focus on the contributors and really look at what the need is traditionally, you know, really getting back to the nature of our race and really looking at things from a different perspective instead of being so traditional. So I think Sounds a lot like of you're talking about grassroots. Yes, 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 yes. Antoine, what's at stake for us? Yeah. Yeah. What's at stake for us, Antoine? It's so funny. I I really appreciate this perspective because we're talking about really taking a significant step back, uh, both in economic power, political power, um, and even a sense of pride among who we are because we're going to stake back unless we come together. No one's going to look out for us because at this point you're talking about um, people really focus on themselves and Maslow's hierarchy of needs says, I want to look out for me first. And right. We aren't at the table, and if we don't come out, me, me yeah. won't exist at a large level. Exactly. Exactly. Mr. Speaker, what's at stake for us? Again, I, I, I really think we have to come together. I, I am more focused than ever on making sure that we turn out, that we elevate our local electeds, um, and that we make sure that, that everybody is counted, that everybody participates, that everyone makes sure that they're heard, and that no one gets frustrated and walks away because uh, there's, there's too much at stake for that to happen. I believe that we will. I think that we're going to see nationally a strengthening, a strengthening of local governments um, because uh, D.C. is largely dysfunctional. Um, mm-hmm. And I, I hope. I hope and pray this does not go into the fourth quarter, at least in full force. I hope we peak in the next two or three weeks. Um, but we're going to have to come together. Um, and, and quite frankly, it's not going to be able to be a partisan issue. We're going to have to come together and do what's right for people um, because what we see right now is only the tip of the iceberg when we're talking about losing jobs. But it's going to have an impact on the criminal justice system, on homelessness, as we're seeing here, on mental health and on the foster care system and across the board. I think we're just going to have to unite and come together to start doing the right thing. Sounds good. How can we get in touch with you, uh, Speaker Fireson? How can we follow you, Twitter, Facebook, whatever your uh, information is? How can people follow you? I'm on Twitter at JasonFryerson.com, Facebook as well, Jason Fryerson. Uh, and uh, you can see, you can find a link from that page to my assembly page. Uh, I, I would give you out my Instagram, but I don't use it enough for it to be worthy. So <laughs> um, uh, I am looking forward to hearing from folks. I think across the country, we need to exchange ideas to state to state as well. We started doing that, and I think that's going to be also something that brings us together as a country. Sounds great. Antoine, how can people follow you and get in touch with you? Uh, two ways. One is going to be um, uh, on Twitter, both from a GWBCC, Greater Washington Black Chamber of Commerce, uh, or at A Ford, A F O R D, twelve forty eight. Uh, from that perspective, and we, uh, I do tweet, so we can go from there. 
Rosalind mm-hmm. L., how can they follow you, my dear? How can they get in touch with you? Oh, well, um, this has been, has been a pleasure. You guys can definitely follow me. Um, I write a lot, so you definitely can look for a lot of my articles throughout social media. But you can follow me on Twitter um, at Miss Rosalind PR and on Instagram at Miss Rosalind underscore official. I want to thank my guests tonight for joining me, and I want to thank you for listening. Each week, I always close the show out, and I always say, what's at stake for you and your family? And then I remind you that if there's if that there is always something at stake, whatever it is, you have to determine that. And once you define what's at stake for you and your family, once you're able to identify it, you have to get up, you have to act upon it, and don't allow anyone or anything to distract you from it. Black folks, 2020 is vital to your very existence. It's vital to the very future. It's vital to the future of your children and your children's children. Don't think that just uh, because another year is coming up and things are happening that you can bypass and allow another election to go by the wayside. I promise you, hear it now and hear it live. If Donald Trump is reelected and Republicans control the U.S. Senate or the House, God forbid they're able to win that, or just the fact that he's able to get reelected and they control the Senate, just as uh, Speaker Fireson said, you will be in store for something that will dramatically change the function of this country and just everything that we have to deal with. This folks on the federal bench are in their 30, they're, they're 30 years old or, or, you know, under 40 years old. So they're 36, 37, 38 years old. They've never tried a case before. They've never been in a courtroom before. They don't even know how to say or understand what jurisprudence is or habeas corpus. And they're sitting on a federal bench for the lifetime until they die. That's when they're going to get off that bench. Everything from Roe v. Wade to voting rights to civil rights to religious rights to small business rights to income inequality, anything, education, you name it, it's going to come up. Conservative states will go to conservative federal courts like this uh, speaker just said, the Ninth District, the Ninth Circuit, which was a very progressive now leaning and has been switched over to a conservative or a tie, and that's going to happen in all the districts across the country. The Supreme Court could easily end up six to three in a GOP balance advantage for the next 30 to 40 years, unless someone on the Republican side dies or unless Democrats have the White House, the Senate, and they can do something about it. Otherwise, we'll be sitting around here looking at Mitch McConnell blockade the Supreme Court again and become another political pinball machine, and Democrats will not win. So, Black America, enlighten yourself, empower yourself, and please engage yourself. I want to thank my guest tonight, Ms. Rosalind L., Mr. Antoine Ford, and the Nevada State Assembly Speaker Jason Fireson. Remember, if it's social, economic, or political, it's Black politics today. I want to thank my guest again. Thank you guys for joining us. And next time, we're going to certainly have another talk about what's at stake for us socially, economically, and politically on every broadcast and every stream we've gone. So, Speaker... Look for me. I'm calling you back. Antoine, you know you coming you back. Do? And Rosalind, I'm looking for your article. And I'm going to put you Thank you for listening to Black Politics Today on I for What's at Stake in Global Politics with your host, Kelly Michael Williams. Join us live each Monday from 7 to 8 p.m. Until next time, follow us on Twitter. Like us on Facebook and download us on iTunes at Black Politics Today.